morning. Um, I'm Kurt Patterson. Been around here a while. Um, we uh, had a journey group last year, and Nick Hildebrand was one of those friends of mine that I invited in to join us on a journey group. And through that process, we get a chance to look back in our lives and see how God has actually been working in our lives when we might not even have known it or paid attention to it. And so as I listen to him again this morning share his story, I want you to listen with me because there's times, as we just sang, of sufferings that we feel like we wonder if God's even alive. Why would God allow that to happen? And as I listen to Nick's story, I, I listen to God at work throughout his life and, and him willing to accept the fact that God is sovereign and God is alive. And so listen with me to those times when, when faith was really, really important, when family's been really, really important, and, and some good friends and mentors have been put into his life, and, and most importantly, his own digging inside and saying, you know, I've got to continue to live for the, for the Lord. So I'm going to turn over to Nick. Nick, I'm glad you're here. Nick um, Hildebrand actually goes to the Denver Baptist Church up there. I think they got a new name. Cornerstone Cornerstone Church, Church. Yeah. and so yep. he's up there, and so um, joy to have you here. Welcome, and um, enjoy. All right. Thank you, Kurt, and thank you, everyone, for letting me be here today, especially on such a special day today. I'm going to start a little bit with a verse from Romans. Um, Paul writes, we also find glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance, character, and character, hope. And so you'll, you'll see how uh, perseverance and struggles can lead to uh, building in character and building in hope in my story. My dad, Bill Hildebrandt, was a senior in high school, and my mom, Deb Wessendorf, was a freshman when they started dating. Both grew up in their later years on farms west of Tripola, not far from each other. My dad was a big man, six foot five and over 200 pounds. He was a state heavyweight wrestler, and after he graduated from high school in 1972, he had to decide on whether to go to college or to work for John Deere. John Deere is where he would end up retiring from. My mom dated him all through high school and then got a job at CUNA Mutual right after high school, where she also retired from, but then continued to work at Prairie Lakes Church, which she has now retired from. I was their first of two kids, and I was born on September 24, 1978, in Waverly, Iowa. We lived in Denver in the hills to the west of town in a home their family told them they should never buy. I grew up there until kindergarten. Growing up, we spent a lot of time with family, especially my grandpa and grandma Wessendorf. My grandpa Eldon is an inventor of sorts, and it is a constant worker. My dad helped him a lot with a lot of stuff they did. My grandpa Eldon lived on the farm that he was born and grew up on. He was a farmer all his life, was drafted and went to the Korean War, then married my grandma Marilyn from Denver after he returned. Eldon was one of the first people to, de to design a tractor pulling sled as he was involved with many of the arrogant farmers in the area that all thought their tractors were the strongest. I loved spending time with Grandpa in his shop where he constantly was welding and working on motors and fixing and inventing things. We would also play a lot of checkers together. He was very involved in the country church just a mile away from there where they lived. This is also where we went to church. My dad was into snowmobiles early on in his life, and early on he bought me a kitty cat Arctic snowmobile when we lived there. 
The first time I took it out, I really didn't know what to do, but I jumped on and held that throttle down. The only way it stopped is if you took your hand off that throttle, but instead I ran it straight into the trailer that my dad brought it home on. <laughs> Epic failure. My dad also taught me how to mow lawn, and I used to ride around and hang out with my dad every second I could. He would take me down into town to the Alibi, what a name for a bar, and I would play pinball while he hung out with the guys. They also took me to their bowling league in Janesville. I was known as Mopop because they must have fed me pop at these establishments, and I really liked it, and I wanted Mo. <laughs> There's a shot of me really little. <laughs> I was a soft kid. My parents never had to spank me. I felt guilty if I did something wrong and really never wanted to hurt anyone's feelings from a, from a very young age. I would call it conflict adverse. My mother especially was and still is this way, but I think it comes out of love for other people and her godly roots. My sister was born in the last couple years we were in Denver, and eventually we ended up purchasing my grandpa and grandma Hildebrandt's farm six and a half miles west of Chipola and close to my Wessendorf grandparents. My grandma Hildebrandt had been badly injured on a runaway horse wagon and dealt with heart issues, and God called her home early. My grandpa eventually remarried his deceased brother's widow. This has led to many family tree conversations. I explain <laughs> those relationships. I excelled in school and in kindergarten. I remember never getting to take a nap because instead I did extra math worksheets that were levels above us. We farmed with my Wessendorf grandparents as my Hildebrandt grandparents retired and moved to Sumner. We went to the country church where I took Sunday school that my mom taught and was eventually confirmed there, as was my mom. My parents also got married at that church, St. John's UCC, and eventually I married my wife there as well by the same minister. After just a year or two of living on the farm, my grandparents were visited by Jehovah Witnesses, and they had decided to leave the church and become Jehovah Witness. There's a picture of my grandparents there. My Aunt Terry, my mom's twin sister, and my two cousins, Heather and Shelley, along with my parents, got in terrible arguments with their parents, and we ended up staying at that country church. Since that day, my grandparents have really been a little separated from us. We didn't see them much at all for probably around two years, but my mom and aunt spent a lot of time together, as did our families. We did eventually reconcile with my grandpa and grandma Westendorf. But the challenges of our difference in faith has not allowed our relationship to be as deep as God wants it to be. And I pray often for their salvation, as they probably do for ours. I had a best friend through school, Jared Calise, and we spent quite a bit of time together. Besides my dad, he was the only other person I could tell everything to, which looking back is a lot more than most people have. Through high school, I continued to do well academically and was heavily involved in music and art and was driven by creativity. It was my escape and therapy every day at school as I could sit down to a painting or drawing and work for an hour straight with ease. This diligence and passion for design has paid off in my profession. I graduated in 1997 from Tripola, moved down to Iowa State, and lived in Larch Hall with my best friend, Jared. We both were pursuing engineering degrees, and I took a bunch of different classes, C++ programming, calculus, chemistry. 
That first semester, Jared and I were visiting with a friend of ours, and she said she was taking classes like drawing class and painting and design. I asked what her major was, and she said, architecture. You can make a living doing that? I switched after the semester. <laughs> what a gift from God. What a gift from God. Who does that, anyway? That first year of college, my high school girlfriend broke up with me, but I remembered the girl I had met through her cl club volleyball team. The summer after my freshman year, I tried to find her, calling her grandparents that I looked up in a phone book. Her grandparents gave me her number. I, <laughs> I called her, but she was still friends with my ex-girlfriend and did not want to make her mad. That next school year... I called her again over Thanksgiving break, and I talked her into a date. After our first date, she told her friend we would never work out, I guess. She didn't know my persistence or charm, <laughs> poor thing. We hung out a bit more over winter, but I really won her over when I came to one of her basketball games in Allison. We started dating that winter, and I grew quite close with her family, especially her grandparents. They showed me a lot of love, and it was easy to see how much they cared for Jackie and her family, and everyone in their family. My wife's family was somewhat different than mine. I would say I came from what I thought was a typical family. Married parents, very happy and supportive, a sister living on a farm, doing a lot of work, but also enjoying times with family and friends. As it turns out, I don't know if this was that common. I don't think my mother-in-law was a big supporter of mine, as she wanted Jackie to go out and live some. Jackie was a junior in high school when we started dating. I understand it more now. I really tried to support Jackie in everything she did, and she did a lot. She is quite easily the best athlete I have ever met. All-state volleyball, basketball, and softball. 1,000 points in basketball, state champion, 100-meter hurdler, and national all-tournament team club volleyball player. Yes, she was and still is too good for me, but as it turns out, she is my soulmate. After Jackie graduated from high school, she was recruited to play volleyball at Southwestern Community College. I was 21 and spent a semester in Rome as part of the architecture study abroad program. I think there's a picture there of me in Rome. This was a life-changing time for me. I had fallen quite a away quite a bit from practicing being a Christian. And in Rome, we learned a lot of history about the Romans and eventually the Catholic, Catholic Church. Living among another culture on our own expanded my thinking completely, though. The world got bigger, but the world got smaller, if that makes any sense. I had traveled some with my family throughout my younger years, but never when I was considering who I was. My parents came to visit me over there. We spent a few days together, and I remember visiting with my dad about Jackie on a train there, and that I maybe wanted to marry her. As I had quite a bit of time to think and was away from my normal people, I contemplated much of life. Relationships, history, God. Even as I reflect on it a bit more now, I think God was more visible there or made more visible to me. Through the buildings, the artwork, the way the culture acted, seeing how he was entwined in the rise and fall of so many empires, I still was not practicing my faith well. And I'm not sure I had fully accepted Jesus as my Savior as I was baptized as a child and confirmed, but I'm not sure I even knew that being confirmed meant confirming my faith in Christ as my Savior. Jackie and I tried to stay in touch, but it was quite hard. She was at a new school, 
meeting new people, and I was halfway around the world. Phones and even email was not as easy to use as it is nowadays. When I came back, we struggled to reconnect and even talked about whether we would stay together or not some. Then came 2001, the year Satan attacked. Jackie got, call, got talked into going out for basketball down there in Southwestern Community College. I was back at Iowa State and we were getting back on track and spending a lot of time together again. I was down at her place and she took off on a bus to an away game in Esterville, Iowa Lakes. She was supposed to come back that night, but instead I got a call that she was in the hospital. She had collapsed on the floor and was taken to the hospital. They didn't know what it was, but she was paralyzed on the left side of her body. I was hours away. After a couple more calls, I ended up jumping in my car and started driving north. I eventually stopped at a gas station and called my parents, and they told me she was being transported to Rochester. I changed course and started up to Mayo. When I got there, she was in the ER, had regained responsiveness on her left side, but had terrible headaches. That night, she was in intensive care and suffered more TIAs and mini-strokes. They found out from an angiogram, finally, that she had a stroke on the basketball floor as scar tissue had left loose from a nearly completely blocked carotid artery. It had grown collateral arteries, so they assumed this had happened a while ago in life. It took her quite a few weeks to get healthy enough to be sent home as they put her on blood thinners. Just a few years ago, we had a scare again with this, and Jackie got another angiogram. As it turns out, she was completely recovered, and they took her off nearly every medication. God is good. They said if she did not have the communicative artery between her two sides of her Willis loop in her brain, she would not have lived. The one side of her brain is now feeding the other side of her brain that was blocked by the stroke, which has some side effects, but is better than the alternative, at least from our earthly perspective. I can't tell you how much I have prayed for Jackie through all of this, how much I continue to pray for her, and how much I thank God for what he did to keep her here with us. I spent much of the time praying for him to give this to me and to take it away from her because I have always known that he is sovereign over everything. God wants us, though, to give it to him and not to take it on upon ourselves. We got Jackie home and things were trying to get back to something we had hoped for. We spent a lot of time together. She was getting stronger, struggling being far away from family during this time, but I tried to be there for her as much as I could during school. Spring break, I took a trip with my dad and a bunch of guys up to the UP of Michigan to go snowmobiling. My dad had just gotten early retirement the year before from John Deere and was now just farming full time instead of part time. He was enjoying life. We were having a great chip and ended up in a small town bar early one night of the trip. My dad wanted to continue on, but some of the guys had settled in a bit too much, so we decided to overnight it at the town we were at. We were saddlebagging to different towns through the UP. That next morning, my dad got up early and showered and got us all up. He was his cheery self, always seemed happy and was a big softie at heart. He really kept my family and friends together as many came to him to talk, play cards, and drink a beer. He was a great listener and I told him nearly everything in my life. His love for me was unconditional. That morning we had breakfast and snowmobiled. It was an amazing day out, crystal clear skies, and the trails were smooth as glass. 
We stopped in another small town and had lunch at a bar that got food from the diner next door. Smothered beef sandwich was a special. I sat and ate with my dad. I don't remember what we talked about. We left the bar and I forgot my helmet inside, but my dad had grabbed it for me. Did you forget something, Buckwheat? He said. Rubbed my head of hair. We stopped after some riding. I was towards the back and he was towards the front. We threw snowballs at each other, but I didn't talk to him. That was the last time that I saw him alive. The next time I saw him, I was coming over a hill on a winding trail around telephone poles. It was one of those clearings they do for large power lines through forests. I was about fourth or fifth in line, and my dad was leading. I saw the groomer at the side of the trail as I rounded a corner up the hill. Then I saw someone lying face down in the middle of the trail. I thought it was Wayne Broquet, as him and my dad were out front and both had all black leather on, but I jumped off my sled to see that it was my dad. I flipped him over, but he was non-responsive. Others gathered around him. We didn't know what to do. I took off his helmet and tried to see if he was breathing, and he wasn't. I started to try to do CPR on him, but his entire chest was mush from hitting the groomer. I continued to try some. I tried to give him a breath, but soon blood started to show from his eyes. Someone said, he's dead. Someone yelled, shut up. I tried to deny it, but there was nothing that I could do. Part of me wishes that I would have tried harder, but I know that he was already gone. I held him. Someone called 911. My blood pressure was through the roof, and I tried to deny it. No, I love you, Dad. I love you so much, I yelled, and in case he still could hear me, in case his spirit was still there, in case he was still watching. What seemed like forever, as we were in the middle of nowhere, someone finally showed up, a first responder woman. I don't know who she was, but she helped me, checked him, and helped me more. She stuck around for most of the time. Now that I think about it, she was probably trained to do that, but she was very consoling and supportive. I went over to the groomer driver. He started crying and said he was sorry. I said, it's not your fault. Gave him a hug. Paramedics eventually showed up, and again, the person kept me from watching. They had to try to revive him and eventually put him in a trailer behind a snowmobile to take his body away. I was put on a snowmobile and followed. They put him in an ambulance. I didn't want to let him go. I got into the ambulance and said I wanted to see him. They didn't want to let me, but I did. I don't know what I said, but it was something along the lines of, I love you, Dad, and I'll take care of everything. We had to ride home from Michigan. I rambled and sobbed. Others in the vehicle tried to talk to me, but there was a lot of quiet. I talked some to my mom, got home, and started the grieving. I am so thankful I was there with my dad through all of this, but the grieving is always there. I try to give it to God as much as I can, and have worked to fill some of these voids with mentors throughout my life. Jackie was there with me through the whole thing, holding me as I sobbed in my bed those nights. So many people stopped to support us, and that means so much. I wrote a letter to my dad that I left with him and spoke at my dad's funeral because I wanted to let everyone know how much my dad meant to me and still does. He is in everything I do, but further than that, I think God was in him, and I see God in me through all of this. It makes it easy for me to honor God when I get blessed with accomplishments because it honors both my fathers because I could never have done it without either of them.
I somehow made it through the semester. Friends I had made through my Rome trip helped me so much to get through my studies and projects and supported me. September 11th, 2001 happened, the fall of the next school year, and luckily did not have as direct of a personal impact on me as these other two instances, but certainly changed the course of our world here. I proposed to Jackie my final year of college in my apartment. I made her chicken marsala, asked her if she would love me forever, got down on a knee and proposed. She said yes. I had interned at Structure Architects in Waterloo, and I ended up getting recruited to work for them in the Des Moines area. We purchased a home in Beaverdale area, and my wife finished school at DMAC. We were married the fall of 2003 at the country church that I had spent most of my life. The pastor that confirmed my mom, married my parents, confirmed me now, had married us. We spent time remodeling our home and enjoying time with friends in Des Moines. We were not practicing our faith well other than trying to show others that we cared for them, and we never found a church home in Des Moines. We began to discuss the ideas of having children. We didn't even know if Jackie could, so we visited with a specialist, Dr. Wang, at Mercy Hospital. We figured out a plan in which we could try, and it happened very fast. I'm not sure my mental world was ready to be a father, but the day was rapidly approaching, and I began to look at life a little different a little less self-centered. We decided to move back to the home area and landed at an old Tudor-style home near Burns Park in Waterloo. I transferred up to Waterloo's structure office. Elena came into this world October 18, 2005. I was 26. Watching that happen was the most amazing, crazy, disgusting thing I have ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) And immediately my life had changed. I had always liked being around children. I played with younger kids and held babies when I could, but this one was totally dependent on me. Was I really qualified for this? Wasn't there a class I had to take or something I had to qualify for to let another human being give me this child? I was anxious to even drive her home in our vehicle. It might have been the only time in my life I have driven for hours under the speed limit. (laughs) How could I care so much for this little being that suddenly was there? It rocked my world, and I wanted to do everything to make this child's life great. But most importantly, to show her that I loved her, I wanted to provide for our family, but more importantly, God wanted to provide for us. While Elena was still a newborn and Jackie had returned to work, I was blessed with a phone call from a work recruiter. I loved my job with with the question posed of what would make you consider moving. I said the only thing I would consider was if my wife could stay home and be with our child. They called back to me within minutes and told me they could make that happen. I honored my ask and resigned that next day to the mentor that had taught me so much, Jeff Grimes. Jeff had been the president of the company for many years, and I had moved up to work directly with him on many key projects in the firm. It was one of the hardest things I had done, but since it was for my family, it was one of the easiest. During this time, Jackie and I visited a lot about what raising our family would look like. Could God bless us with another child? Where would we live? How do we act? How do we teach? We tried several churches out and eventually landed at Heartland Vineyard. We loved Pastor Dan and we personally knew a lot of people there. Our faith grew rapidly and we got very involved at the church. Madeline was born January 30th, 2008 and our family had grown. She came into this world so much easier than Elena and has been one of my angels ever since. 
man, it's hard to see your kids grow up. Through this time, we began going to small groups at church, went through membership classes, and had been babysitting duties within the kids' zone. My personal relationship with Jesus grew immensely, and I remember having several conversations with my mentor, Jeff Grimes, at work about this. I had learned to have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I began listening to his voice better. My mom ended up finding my stepdad, Bill Coonrod, and they were married in May of 2009. Bill has been a great-grandfather to our kids and is great for my mom. My mom had been working with Kurt Patterson, and Jackie and I went to work with him around this time. Kurt challenged me and continued to, continues to challenge me in many different ways. In my years now, I continue to try to surround myself with people that I would consider my board of directors, and I think that Kurt is close to the president of that board. He might take the VP spot to my wife, though. Even though I know I will never fill that void left from my dad, God continues to put mentors into my life from which I can listen to hear his voice. I was offered partnership at our firm as part of my return from the design-build firm. In 2009, we decided to move our family as our kids were getting close to preschool age, and neither of us was very comfortable with the large school district. We decided to move to Denver since we had several friends that lived there and had kids similar ages to ours. We moved into a house on Snyder Street and decided that we would try adding another one to our family. It happened very quickly again, of course, and our youngest daughter, Kelsey, was almost born on 8 9 10, but instead it was 8 10 10. She decided she wanted to come into this world feet first, so Jackie ended up having to have a C-section. This was new to the both of us and was stressful, but she came into this world and we are so happy that she did. I grew immensely as an architect and leader of the firm at Structure Architects, and I was so blessed to work with so many great people. We strive to create an environment where everyone could grow and be recognized for their effort, but our progress eventually ended up meeting some roadblocks, and I left the firm. We started Emergent Architecture in August of 2017. Within six months, we had hired two more from the previous firm, and after one year, we had two others. Emergent architecture now has been around for almost five years, and I am continually amazed at how much God blesses me through this company and the people that he has brought into this family. There's a shot of the company there. We are all quite young with younger kids, and I am blessed with making decisions that allow me to bless each and every one of them every year. His area continues to grow as we have expanded with a merger in Cedar Rapids, adding to our emergent family. We joined Cornerstone Church in Denver around seven or eight years ago, and it has been a great support for our family through this time. My kids have attended camps, church, and classes there throughout, and I was rebaptized by my friend and pastor, Zach, over five years ago. At that baptism, I was able to baptize my daughters, Elena and Madeline, as they have accepted Jesus as their Savior. Several years ago, I was also able to rebaptize my wife and my youngest daughter, Kelsey. I continue to try to build my relationship with God, and it is like any relationship for me. It takes work and it takes time. Sometimes I struggle with it, as it seems many of life's gifts easily turn into temptations or time away from spending time with God. But I try to keep him with us in all that we do, especially with my wife and my family, as they are the biggest blessings that he has given me. As I continue to grow in my faith journey with God, he has also called me to even more direct service through the church. As I recently have become 
an elder at the church. And through this relationship, I continue to learn about listening to what he wants me to do for him and trying not to let the gifts he has given me overpower the message he constantly gives me through prayer, relationships, and service. And I'm going to end now on, on uh, Paul in Romans here, five, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also find glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Um, in our journey class, there's uh, 10 other men um, that met. And that morning, he gave his story. I happened to be out um, and wasn't there, but on my drive back, to Cedar Falls, three of them called me and said, why don't you tell us we need a Kleenex? Everybody in the room was crying. And so um, then I got a chance to read his and hear his um, story. And, and, I, and I think, I'm not quite sure, but if I get to heaven before he does, I'm going to ask him to make a book of Nick. And maybe we'll get that in the Bible, I don't know. But, but we all have that story, right? We all have a story. We could all have a book. That's what I love about looking at our lives and thinking about what God is really up to. In the time of suffering, the time of losing somebody close, the time of having a, a child, all our life. So as you think about these stories from the seats, I just want to challenge you. There's good small groups, there's good journey groups, there's good other groups coming. So take some time and, and find out what God wants you to be participating in and, and stepping into your faith a little bit more, even if you're doubting. Um, let me pray for Nick. Father, thanks. Thanks for Nick's deep-seated faith. Thanks for his love for his father and his love for you as his father. Thanks for putting other good people in his life um, to help support him and continue his growth in you. We just pray that you would continue to have him be a, a bright light where you've placed him. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.